Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, ciao, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, namaste, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories Podcast 2023. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Betsy Olam. As we visit with international companies from different states around the U.S., which is kind of our theme this year, this is our Tennessee episode. We can also call this our intermodal episode, as I'm honored to have as our guest, Donna Lim, Chief Commercial Officer for IMC Companies. IMC is an influential logistics provider headquartered here in my hometown area of Memphis. First, a word from our sponsor. We are all about storytelling here, and there is another story I want to tell you about. It's the story about how one company can help you solve your commercial real estate needs, whether in town, across the nation, or over the oceans. That company is Levy Commercial Realty, LLC. They provide strategic commercial real estate advisory and brokerage services. I'm talking about retail. I'm talking about restaurant, entertainment, and distribution. Levy's clients include local legends, regional brands, and Fortune 50 companies known around the world. You're going to want to join Levy's select group of clients. Their email is contact at levycommercial.com. That's Levy, L-E-V-Y, commercial.com, and I'll post it on our website. Now back to the show. It is my pleasure to introduce Donna. She is responsible for directing IMC's national sales footprint, serving every major port and rail operation in the United States with IMC companies' intermodal drayage capacity, equipment management, inland terminal operations, and tailored supply chain solutions. Donna has been serving the international maritime industry for over 30 years. She serves on the Intermodal Association of North America Board of Directors. She serves on the advisory board of the Agriculture Agriculture Transportation Coalition. Her national leadership includes serving on multiple Federal Maritime Commission innovation teams. She has testified before both the U.S. House and U.S. Senate on behalf of her industry. She's an active speaker on both a regional and national scale in addressing the challenges facing the U.S. shipping and intermodal community. Wow, we are very honored. Hello, Donna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Betsy. I am so flattered to be here, and thank you for having me. A pleasure. So I'm just going to say a little personal note here, Donna. We've known each other uh, since early in those 30 years when both of us were trying to figure out child care and working full time. And I just want to say, I hope it's easier for working parents today. It was, <laughs> it was challenging if you recall. <laughs> oh my gosh. You just, you, you just hit a, hit a chord that, that resonates. I mean, it was a wonderful time. And I do remember Betsy, it was 
over 30 years ago. And uh, we had, I had two little ones, you had two little ones. Um, it was a, a very interesting time. I, I remember having them under my desk sometimes, just right. begging them, please be quiet, please be quiet. <laughs> um, I can't tell you how many ice creams at McDonald's I promised in my day, but- um, I know, I know. So here's to all the working moms, all the working dads. Um, here, 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 yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just had to mention it on a personal note because we have known each other a long time. In any case, um, so, you know, I wanted to ask you if you could share with our listeners a few de details, you know, about your background and when you came to IMC. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, I've been in the business, as we talk about, quite a, quite a long time, um, but fortunate enough to have experienced um, life and perspective as an ocean carrier. Uh, especially in those early years, I learned so much uh, work ethic, learned so much about taking care of customers. And um, it, it was such a, an interesting and always is environment because on the shipping side, on the ocean carrier side, it is absolutely international, as you talk about. Um, and every day you come to work is a new day. Um, and from there, from the ocean side, I moved to the forwarding side with a company called Mallory Alexander, headquartered here in Memphis, Tennessee, an amazing company. And it was there um, and their huge focus on exports that my passion for exports really, really um, escalated um, with our cotton, with our paper, uh, and with all that I um, have come to know and learn in the business. And about seven years ago, um, Mark George, who is our chairman of IMC, um, we were talking and he was very, very interested in looking at how IMC companies uh, could develop a national platform. He had done amazing work in his and his president's entrepreneurial spirits, just growing IMC. You may remember IMCG headquartered here in Memphis, Tennessee. They are our anchor. Our chairman founded IMCG 40 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, you remember. I can't believe it's been that long, but yes. So he founded um, IMCG Memphis, Nashville. They grew uh, to Birmingham and then in, into Dallas. And then further growth, acquisitions in the Midwest with DNJ, growing east with Atlantic Intermodal Services. Uh, some of his uh, finest leadership um, taking their families and, and moving to the Ohio Valley, which has just, just blossomed, right? Uh, Gulf um, Intermodal Services is also a company of ours through Mobile and New Orleans and Houston. And then the latest um, acquisition several years ago was uh, Pacific Drainage Services uh, in the LA region. And so I'm saying all of this because Mark George had assembled just this huge um entrepreneurial spirit at this huge enterprise of trucking companies. And I said to Mark, you know, my background is international. It's in the shipping business and the forwarding business, you know, and I, I was very curious about his want and need to establish a, a national platform because he had done so well regionally. There, there's such a need for customers to understand what's happening in our backyard because the regions are indeed very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, but there are many customers, national customers 
that absolutely need to be able to make that one phone call. And they need to know that they're going to be taken care of, whether it's the East Coast or the West Coast. And it was then, um, seven years ago, that I said, yes, Mark, I, I believe in your vision. And I, I know um, I can share, perhaps, um, all the many things that I've learned through the years. And it will help you grow that national platform. And um, here we are today. I've never looked back. It's been yeah. a marvelous, marvelous journey. I imagine that that's very exciting to see a company to be part of that kind of national growth. That's very cool. So, I mean, this is kind of a simple question, but um, but maybe you can explain just to our listeners how IMC inter interacts with the export import community. Um, you know, how maybe is that different from your domestic business or whatever? Actually, um, we are it is our core. International marine containers are our core uh, piece okay. of business. And so every day we are working those import shipments from mm -hmm. ports and rails to that consignee's door. We are also working those exports from either that manufacturing facility or that warehouse, uh, picking up those export loads, bringing them to the rail or to the port uh, and out for, for international export. So we work with both importers and exporters every day and um it, it's just been fascinating uh, you know I, I was looking at some of the notes that you had in preparation for today and you were asking how um perhaps COVID impacted our business yeah and then in turn of course our shippers business right, right. oh Betsy it was um so interesting. If you take it back, I, I think in those early years of 2020, none of us were really quite sure what was going to happen yeah. to our business. But certainly by third quarter 2020, uh, the freight had had just built up and built up to a point where it was really, we would come to work every day and it was robbing Peter to pay Paul just to try and retrieve containers. These are mostly inbound containers, correct? These are mostly inbound containers, absolutely. Um, and as those inbound containers began to stack and stack, and as we had issues, all of us, with what? With labor. Our, you know, big shippers weren't able to unload these goods. They couldn't find the labor to come in and, 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 and do that. We also had issues with shippers just frantically buying because they weren't sure what in the world that transit time was really going to look like. A normal 21-day transit time was turning into 60, 70 days. So, so what they, happened? Yeah, they built up huge inventories. Isn't that right? They did. Um, there, there was um, tremendous buildup uh, of inventories. There was this uh, tremendous imbalance of assets. Mm -hmm. And so even with our railroad, you, you would see um, our our rail cars just all jacked up and so i you know while the focus here today is on our exports and we're talking even about our, our state of tennessee what happened to our cotton what happened to our paper well our exporters are scrambling for equipment a lot of the equipment was unavailable either because it was stacked and inaccessible or perhaps it was waiting at a warehouse. 
And so our exporters, as they waited for the emptying of uh, those containers for exports, they were also waiting for chassis and they were also buying from drivers. Yeah. And so, gosh, this went on um, all the way through third quarter of 2022. So um, if you can explain, I mean, most people under, that listen understand, but let's talk for a minute about those imbalances and equipment delays. Talk about detention and demerge. I know that is uh, mostly affects the inbound customer, but I mean, really affects everybody. But but what what are those costs uh, that the the shippers are experiencing during that time of just excessive imbalance? Betsy, they were astronomical, and um, so much of it was beyond the shippers' control. I think there was a lot of undertone that perhaps the shipper didn't have labor, the shipper didn't have the ability to come and pick up their goods. Uh, but for every, for every shipper that may have had that situation, we had 10 others that were begging for their freight. And so what happened was there was this terrible misunderstanding Yeah, that, you know, shippers needed some relief. And so the question was how? You ask about the cost. We estimate that the cost in demerge alone, storage costs alone, uh, in our backyard, escalated from 2020 to 2022, over 8,000%, okay? Can you give an example of what a cost would have been before and after? I mean, just a, a, a typical contain, you know, uh, one of your more frequent... Well, I mean, I think that they, you know, generally when people ask about cost, they might give the example of a typical ocean cost of, of 1500 bucks from Shanghai to the West Coast. And then they talked about the escalation of those fees going up to $20,000 and $25,000 for just that box. And what happened was it wasn't just the cost of service. What happened when the box arrived in the United States? And let's just say the box was terminated in Los Angeles and right. then it would get stacked right. and demerge costs accrued. Which is, let's explain what that is just in case some new young to export import are listening. Will do. So the cost of demerge is the cost for that land. So if you have, uh, if you are storing a container, an international 40-foot container on that land, on that terminal, they will charge you a fee called demurrage, right? It's, kind of, those a, it's kind of a leasing cost. If it space, is. Leasing space. That's a good way to put it. That's, that's exactly right. So let's just say on average, those costs are 200 bucks a day. <laughs> what if? You, could, you couldn't retrieve your container because it was stacked seven and eight high, wasn't accessible. The storage clock or demerge clock kept ticking, 200, 400, 600, 800. We have instances where the FOB value of the goods was, yeah. was less than the demerge cost. Sure, sure. Ugh. So what are we talking about? $40,000, $50,000. I mean, at what point is it cost prohibitive? And it was this kind of cost pressure 
that was happening all over the United States. Right. Every ocean gateway, every inland rail hub, and the shippers were screaming for relief. Our motor carrier community was also screaming for relief. Why? We have um, a gun to our head to go pick up those containers, retrieve them, get them out of the rail. You can imagine the frustration when a shipper that you serve wants their goods and you can't get them. Right. A trucker's not getting paid unless they're moving and taking care of those shipments. And so for a long period of time, there was a big um, standstill as the congestion just continued to mount. Right. Did so, you see, uh, I'm sorry, did you see truckers actually leaving the business because they were just not making money? And I mean, did that happen? I don't, I don't know. We saw, we saw many truckers leaving the business, many of them going to get their own motor carrier authority to one because the rates continued to climb. And so there were, there were drivers that wanted that, that higher pay that wanted to take that spot market. And as the rates began to climb in every dimension of the supply chain, you know, you have to still look at efficiency. Right. How many loads are we actually moving here? Right. And at what point are we serving each other? Um, and that became front and center. So to answer your question, we did see drivers leave under great pressure, under great stress. We did see um, individual drivers leaving to try and and perhaps put, you know, um, more food on the table for their families, looking yeah. for the, the, the best rates possible out there. And so for us as an employer, you know, we do have our own assets, uh, IMC does. And so it is a, an ever going challenge to continue to retain our drivers, to make sure they are happy, to make sure that they are getting um, the ultimate quality in, in not only just care of, of them and their livelihood, but to keep their wheels moving. Right. And so, goodness, Betsy, um, we spend so much time in retention and recruiting, but you take it back to COVID, you take it back to that. We had, you know, folks saying, well, why aren't you working Saturdays and Sundays? Well, you've got drivers that are working 10 hours a week and where they are normally moving five loads a day, they were lucky to move two loads a day. Oh, gosh. So yeah. frustrating. Yeah, for everybody. For everybody. For everybody. And so it, it was just a very interesting period in our lives. I think, you know, when you do this as, as, as long as we do, um, you know, you, you just, let's just say, you think you've seen everything. <laughs> right. and yet you haven't exactly and oh, what, what we experienced the past you know couple of years certainly I have never seen in our lifetime I think our drivers have never seen in their lifetime and, and so many of us um, just begging for some calm and some normalcy and um, it is calm it is calm and so um, glad to hear it so you you feel like you're it's not like before COVID though is it no, I think we are forever changed. All yeah. of us are forever changed. Yeah. And, you know, we need to look at the silver lining here. Some of the lessons that we learned. I say to our team, there's no going back. And once you've made two steps forward, you've paid a big price 
for those forward steps. Right, right. So, so what have we learned? You know, we, we started to talk about what the issues were. The issues were labor. The issues were lack of equipment. And the issues were scale, land, the ability to just have the space as these boxes kept, you know, getting stored up, up, up. Where are you going to put them all, right? Let me just ask one question. When you say lack of equipment, are you saying lack of equipment in the whole universe or lack of equipment in the right place? I'm talking about lack of equipment in the right place, but I'm also talking about the, the lack of equipment. And forgive me, because I my head immediately goes to supply chain, immediately goes to what we do. And right. so as an example, um, you know, did we have enough lifts? Did we have enough chassis? Did we have enough drivers? Did we have enough trucks? Right. Did we have enough ships? Did we have enough containers? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, right. So that's where my head goes. But on, on the whole issue of equipment, you can take that and expand that to infrastructure, which, uh, you know, the, the whole country kind of was crippled because of the lack of infrastructure. So right. in lieu of using the word equipment, which was microscopic on my part, I think it would have been better said to have said lack of infrastructure to okay. support what was going on. Meaning like the space where they're stored and can turn around and and move uh, efficiently. Uh, yeah, Betsy, that even even in our ports, you know, when you can just imagine those ships coming in and they were waiting. Remember when we had 30 and 40 ships at bay just waiting to birth? I saw it. I was, you know, during that time late, you know, when it was okay to travel, I visited the West, I was visited the Bay Area, and I visited Los Angeles, and I can remember, because I, I used to live in the Bay Area, I could not believe how many ships were just hanging out in the Bay, it was like 40, 50 ships, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable, you were so right, I, I was flying, and I, for the first time, saw it, just like you, you know, it was first time, you know, maybe in a year that you, that I was able to fly anyway, yeah. and I was just mesmerized by the ships, and I, I said out loud, oh my god, look at the ships, and I remember the whole plane, you know, the whole forward section that, you know, where that I was seated that could hear me, everybody's going, oh my god, look at the ships, yeah. and, and then when, you know, we remember the time when people said, what the heck is supply chain, the whole world understood supply chain. Absolutely, that's, uh, yeah, so, um, before I want to talk about innovations for what's what y'all have done in the future, but before we get to that, let's talk about uh, the railroads because you're obviously inextricably linked to the railroads, your business. Uh, tell us, tell us what that situation is with the rail today and, and how y'all interact and that kind of thing. Well, uh, obviously, intermodal and rail truck, we are intertwined in obviously arm in arm. Uh, here in Memphis, Tennessee, we are very lucky. We're served by five railroads. We are served from the West Coast by the BN and the UP. We're served uh, from the East Coast by the Norfolk Southern and the CSX. And then our friends from Canada, the CN coming in from Chicago and on down to Memphis. And so uh, we're fortunate. We're served by these five class one railroads that can take us East, West, North, South, however we wanna go. 
yeah. um, the situation with the rail wasn't any different that I'm talking about um, in the ports uh, yeah. during COVID. It was um, a really challenging time. Yeah, Things have improved, Betsy. They have the volumes. I, I, I remember you asking about even an IANA webinar just a couple of months ago where we saw the dip in volumes. You hear me talk about... Um, normalcy. We see signs. Uh, we see our exports uh, numbers rising again and delighted to, to report that to you today. Our import volumes, which by November and December had seen such a lull, mm -hmm. January 2, we see life again as we moved into um, March. So we're very, very encouraged by that. Of course, too, we have Chinese New Year things coming down. You know the cycle very well. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are encouraged um, by what we see. But we talked a little bit, too, about lessons learned. You know, part of it is, you know, how do we understand that our trains are getting longer just as our ships are getting bigger? When you and I first started doing this, we had ships that were 4,000 TEUs, and we thought that was massive. Right. 12,000, 14,000 TEU vessels. Well, in turn, the length of our rail cars have also grown. Yeah. And so uh, we, you know, we asked ourselves. Well, that, and, and this has nothing to do with intermodal, but that accident that happened in, oh, was it Ohio? Ohio, yeah. I mean, I think people are concerned about the length of the, the trains and is there control as far as you know physically be able to stop them if they have you know in time and that kind of thing and at least that's some of the discussion I've heard it's uh is there a danger to being too long uh you know that's a great question and I can't answer it I just you know it, it is just something though that we have to stop and, and think about when I look at the transit times even a decade ago and 15 years ago, where an average transit time was five days from the West Coast to Memphis. Right. And those transit times have doubled. And, you know, we really have to take a look. 10 so days now? 10 days from the West Coast to here? Eight to 10 days. Eight Interesting. To 10. Yeah, very interesting. Where our transit times, you know, we, we've got this rush to narrow the gap on transits to the coast, but then we ask ourselves, how are we going to get it inland? And what are we going to do about it? So the transit time you're talking about, that really includes uh, like uh, containers being offloaded in, in one spot and unloaded to another train that the uh, transshipment, that kind of thing, that's all part of the, is that part of the transit time you're talking about or, or? Yeah, it is. So uh, the whole, the total transit time that I was talking about when I said just five days, I was not talking about the shipping piece. I was simply talking about a discharge container, a 40 foot container that was discharged in LA, uh -huh. was immediately put on dock and moved into the interior of the United States with an nice. average transit, Chicago of Memphis of, of at the time, 10, 15 years ago, five days. So, I mean, the time it takes the train to drive from LA to Memphis is the same. It's that the containers are sitting at the port. Okay, okay, I see. 
what you're saying. Yeah, I was like saying, aren't trains as fast as ever? <laughs> oh, yeah, the trains are just as fast. They're just longer. They're yeah. just longer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. You know, going back to the silver lining here, though, Memphis, Chicago, we are served on all fronts, right? right. And, and no. that is indeed a blessing. And um, for us, we, we saw on the export side, well over a decade, 15 years ago too, um, as we pushed things um, to the West Coast and really looking at our double stack trains for the answer for everything. Yeah. We've certainly seen a rise in the South Atlantic uh, vying for those same volumes. Mm -hmm. um, going East, you read a lot about the great growth that's going on in Savannah and Charleston and Norfolk. And uh, all of this is, is really good news for us that sit here in Memphis, just this mecca for uh, warehousing throughout the United States. Um, so tell, it, tell, tell me about that, what's happening in Charleston, Savannah, Norfolk, what's, what's happening there? So I, I just think that they have really such a commercial appetite. And, and we talk about even this um, focus to serve the customer. Mm -hmm. I look at the, the leadership, in those ports and just go, wow. I look at their focus on the beneficial cargo owner and and you know how they can best serve them. And what are they doing? I, you know, Port of Savannah continues to expand. I mean, for me, I hadn't been there in just two years and it was unrecognizable. We talk about can you scale? You walk about, you, you look at these big ships coming in, you look at their effort for on-dock rail their effort to evacuate their terminals quickly, their infrastructure of warehousing that they built um, to support, again, what do we need? And while I said we need labor and equipment and then change you know, equipment to infrastructure, in supply chain, it's all of it. It's, it's our warehousing, it's our labor force, it's our ability to have trucks and drivers and chassis and lifts and all the equipment that makes uh, for a very vibrant supply chain. And that's what you're gonna see uh, when you go uh, to those ports, you're gonna be pretty yep. excited. Um, so a lot of the bottleneck was the was during COVID were the West Coast ports. So- Well, let me, let me stop you. It was every port, Betsy. Really? Because I thought more ships were saying to heck with it. I'm gonna go through the canal and go to the East Coast and it it almost made more sense, but that's that's no, and they did, and they did, yeah. But but just like life, it was like this cyclical event happening, and and so the shipper would just be so frustrated, and they looked at their their inventories, and they looked at that thirty and sixty day cycle that we we were talking about, and they began divesting, right, and risk mitigating, going to the east coast, coming into the Gulf. We had those same 30 ships waiting on the East Coast. Okay, right. We had those same ships waiting in Houston. Right. Um, not the same ships, obviously different strings, but as right. life would have it, um, it just, uh, it was a cycle. And, it, and you could almost see the cycle West Coast to New York, New Jersey, on down Norfolk, Charleston, Savannah. Oh, and let us not forget the Gulf, right? Um, so it was very, very interesting times. Just when you thought, oh my God, I'm breathing. Yeah. What, what about what about those shippers in the 
smack dab in the middle of the U.S. and the Midwest. And oh, Betsy, they, these are the customers we serve. Um, these, you know, we we really started our business in the interior of the United States, and this is where my heart just, you know, just goes out to our shipper community because, you know, just because it, we bottlenecked at the coast, of course, that same domino effect is going to move inland. Right, right. And it was our inland shippers that were just so desperate for freight because of these lags, this bottleneck. Oh my God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And finally comes, right. how am I going to get it? Yeah. Right? Um, so, so, well, um, so I know that your company came up with some innovations to help, uh, you know, move you past some of these problems and into the future. I would love for you to talk a little bit about what IMC did and, and what you're doing to kind of move so forward. So kudos to um, our national account team. I mean, so in 2020, in that spring of 2020, uh, what were shippers begging for? They needed space to put these containers. Right. We had a young team that went out to the West Coast and um, they began looking before anybody. For additional space yeah they spent young that we we sent young teams we sent our our lips from memphis tennessee and from chicago immediately we were sending some of our equipment and our people and our teams out to the west coast um and we called them pop-up yards they were pop-up cys yeah we needed to use our technology we have an amazing team here uh, a staff of 150 people brilliant minds in our IT uh, department and we we immediately needed to find a better way we needed to make makeshift depots wherever we could you need right. to keep track of that equipment you can't just go into a black hole because oh my gosh and so um we came online pretty quickly in Los Angeles in Long Beach we began these pop-up yards in Savannah, and we certainly in the interior of the United States was no exception. Mm -hmm. We, you name it, you name the market, we were there. And so that was just one way, but what happened from that initial phenomenon was this immediate need to evacuate terminals. Why? You were asking about the cost of demerge. Yeah. And I, I think I use the word astronomical costs. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Your shipper, get, please, begging you, get my container off that terminal ASAP. And so one of the things that um, IMC did was, again, using our, our technology, and our ability to aggregate our many customers. Yeah. Peel piles, you've heard the word peel piles for years perhaps, and generally it's 25 or 50 containers that arrive at a, at a railroad or it arrives at a port and they are put in and segregated in a special place so that a, a trucker can go in without um, a specific appointment time and pick up those 25, right? You just line your trucks up and you go to that special place. Yeah. Well, it wasn't enough. Yeah. We didn't need stacks of 25. We needed stacks of hundreds. And so we were able to aggregate um, some of our shippers' freight, create that density. And we had the trucks, and, and by the grace of God, and this is where you're so grateful for your scale, 
we had the ability to bring our drivers in and immediately started picking up from these piles as opposed to waiting five and six hours in line. Yeah. What was the dilemma? We had to find a way to move. How, how do we bring speed to the equation? So I'll answer that by saying we created what we coined smart stacks. Smart because they were we were using technology telling our drivers, look, you're going in to get this box. Immediately when they picked up the box, they were able to use some of the applications that we um, had, had done to know where did they have to bring it back to these pop-up yards or were they able to bring it direct to the consignee? all of these immediacies um, that otherwise went from a five hour wait to two days wait, which translated into the costs that we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. So those were the um, some of the really fun innovations that came. And that's what I mean about, okay, just because life is normal, do we go back to one at a time or do we do it differently? Yeah. And I think you know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, gosh, there's so much to talk about. Uh, well, we're running close on time. So what I would love, if you wouldn't mind, is to share some of your stories um, <clears throat> from your international shipping experience, you know, with IMC and maybe even going back, whatever. But <clears throat> we love to share stories because they kind of tell people how things happened and how things are happening. And so, yeah. Oh gosh, Betsy, I had so many, many, many fun memories. I, I think one of the, the, the fun stories because it's this business, you're never bored. And in this business, every day is, is a challenge. And this, I mean, this goes back. Um, I don't even remember the year. Um, but I, I was working for an ocean carrier. I was working for um, MOL at the time. Uh -huh. And, um, I, you know, some of my fondest memories are, are just um, the travel, representing your country, right? Um, right. The American girl from, from Memphis, Tennessee, showing up in, um, you know, Kobe, or in this case, it was Yokohama for a wonderful manufacturer that we have in uh, Smyrna, Tennessee. I bet you know who that is. Oh, um, okay. So I was, I was there going to visit them at their headquarters um, in Yokohama. And I just um, was just so moved by um, their interest and their fascination. But what was also interesting is, you know, just the pieces of the equation. We, Betsy, you will remember um, so many agents um, in the cotton business um, in Japan at the time. And I, and I think it was then that it just hit me that the world that we live in, while it is so international in scope, is so small, really, when people say it's a small world, it really, really is. And so um, I remember bringing cotton bales, um, you know, just as a, you know, this this is what we grow in the state of Tennessee, right? And, and just the smiles on their faces as I handed them these cotton bales, you know, it's what is it that we can bring that's just a piece of Tennessee um, all the way, you know, to Japan. And it was just kind of cool. But for, for me, and, I, and I'm looking at you, I'm smiling at our, our fond memories. Um, you're young, you're young in the business, you, you know, are, are learning. And 
thin. I can remember a booking for even 10 containers. You know, I just thought that was just huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what happened, and perhaps this was in, by the late 90s, the escalation of freight yeah. in containers was so dramatic in those years, in those late 90s, as we moved into 2000, people just took it for granted. We were moving 10 containers at a time and we woke up and you were working for a huge um, international player for many years. Yeah. Well, I started out in the steamship business working for, you know, Malcolm McLean's United States lines back in the 80s when uh, we brought on these econ ships, they called them. These are the first of the super ships. I know they they're not, they're in scrapyards now, but I mean, uh, we would have a hundred container bookings of, you know, scrap or paper, but you know, that's how you fill these super ships was with super volume. Well, we still fill those ships with super volume of metal scrap and cotton and, and yeah. paper and yeah. all kinds of good stuff like that. Yeah. But the whole point is just what you said. Okay. Moving from 10 container bookings to 500 a week. Out of Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy, crazy, crazy time. But your your story of U.S. lines um, resonated too when Hanjin went out of business. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh, maybe you have a story. Do you remember when U.S. lines went under? Were you there? Are you kidding? I was in the last group. There were like five of us left on the West Coast. They moved me out there to open a sales territory. And I, I had the whole West Coast, to be honest. I was, it was a very specialized thing that I came up with and sold them on sending me to San Francisco. I was calling on customers all, all along the West Coast. But anyway, yeah, they started tying up ships in Singapore and everywhere. And we were in chapter 11 and you just don't, don't know how to go out and talk to customers at that point. It's pretty hard, but we, yeah, we, I was there at the very end when they tied up oh. the ships all around the world. And uh, I yeah. admire you, Betsy. I, I mean, I, I lived through the Hanjin, um, I guess, uh, downfall. And, and there were men and women that were still coming to work that didn't know if they were going to get paid. Oh, that, yeah. I, believe me, I have been there. I understand. But you know what? My friends from United States Lines, we still have reunions. We call them Chapter 11 parties <laughs> around the country, and we reminisce. So there is uh, this, some amazing camaraderie that comes out of this business, and I have a fondness for it. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you're coming here today and sharing your stories and, and telling us what's going on in the business because it's really important to the export import community to understand the basics of what's you know happening in in logistics so well, i am so delighted to spend some time today it is so wonderful to talk to you and hear your voice and um and just to share what what we do every day it's so fun uh, working here at imc and um we have these new headquarters y'all come see us um just opened a year ago, almost today, in Collierville, Tennessee, and uh, it's, it's just been awesome. Oh, that is so great. Oh, Donna, you're such a great guest today, and I just really appreciate it. To our listeners, you know, y'all weigh in. If you have some questions or just want to share your thoughts, please reach out to me at exportstoriespodcast.com. I'm happy to share your comments there. 
on Facebook and LinkedIn that, you know, visit the actual episode page for today's uh, talk. Um, you know, we're a community of exporters, so let's let's share ideas and stuff. So anyway, thank you, Donna, and to all our listeners, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 